groundbreaking research. Cutting edge ideas. The future of society. For inquisitive minds. F-I-M. Welcome to the podcast. It's Sally and Dupile, and today we have Pavlos with us. How are you, Pavlos? Hey, um, man. Hello. Thanks for inviting me here. I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? Good, good man. Good. 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 I just want to say that your so your shirt says "pain is temporary, but a doctoral degree is forever." Yeah, that shirt is specifically chosen for today's podcast. Yes, yeah, good lad. By the way, that was my line. I was going to say that. Oh, you were going to say that? You Sorry. stole that line from me. Sorry, we should probably prepare before the podcast. I think we should prepare before yeah. that. <laughs> Instead of jumping right in and just wing it. No, we do prepare. We spend five minutes. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Are you excited? Very excited. What are you most excited for? So I'm here and I am able to give an overview about my research. Nice. So people and, uh, can, can listen to it and find out more about uh, quantum computing and probably research in general. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Okay. I guess we'll get stuck in then. So... Yeah, I want to know more about this. Uh, wait, wait, this... I want to know more about Pavlos. Where is that name from? I take a point. So the name is Greek. The name is Greek. I'm okay. from Cyprus. Is there a meaning of the name Pavlos? No, no, really. No, 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 no. Yeah. It doesn't mean God, you know, like a Greek God. No, that I know. No, I'm sure it does. Could be. Googling it. Pavlos, what does it mean? Google, tell me. <laughs> nice. So you were born in Cyprus. Yeah, that's right. And you lived how long in Cyprus before you came to the UK? I'd say 20 years. 20 years in Cyprus? Yeah. Wow, and you're like 21. No, I'm like, <laughs> um, cool. Well, you must be smart then if you've done your PhD, you know, at 20 and great, incredible. Yeah, I've done it in a, in a month, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I had a fast pass. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It must be clever then. You must be a good god there. Come on. <laughs> Just trying. <laughs> good, good. Wait, so when did you come here? So when did you originally land in the UK? So basically, I came here for studies. Nice. So I've done a bachelor's uh, in physics. No way. Uh, UCL. Ah. And then I uh, stayed for a PhD. Uh-huh. So that's three years for the bachelor's and four years for the PhD. Wow. No, no master's in between? Uh, no master's. Wow. So you can do a bachelor's and jump right into PhD? That's crazy. It's possible. Yeah. It's uncommon, but it's possible. What inspired you to do a PhD then? Why not stop at you know, bachelor's? I was pretty interested in the topic of quantum computing specifically. And uh, I wanted to learn more. So physics was really inspiring for me. So I decided to pursue a PhD. And this PhD was also at UCL? Yes, it's actually at for the, seven years. Yeah, that's a commitment. Yeah, so te- technically, it's in the London Center for Nanotechnology, which is part of UCL. Yeah, mm-hmm. so effectively, it's, a, it's like a different department. Sure, right. yeah, it's, it's the same. Yeah. yeah, it's the same area. Yeah, twenty-five ah, percent of your life almost has been spent at UCL. Well spent, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> well spent. There you go. There you go. And so, what, what made you want to do physics as a your bachelor's? I was really interested in it. I mean, if you just learn about how the world works so around you, so you live on this planet in this universe. And do you live on this planet in this universe? I think I'm in Mars right now. But still in this universe. Right? Still in this universe. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, that, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So well, essentially, you just find out about you know how the world behaves, yeah. mm-hmm. which is extremely interesting uh, for me. Right. So I just realized, oh, I want to do this bachelor's and learn more about uh, the world around me. What's one like really interesting physics lesson or lesson from physics that could apply to anything? Like if someone's listening and they're considering, what do I do my bachelor's? What, what is one thing that you'd say, you know what, you should study physics because 
because it will develop your critical thinking and you can use that skill for every job out there. True, true. I Hashtag critical thinking. Remember that. Right now I'm focusing on the thinking is critical part. Still struggling with the thinking. thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. And then you decided to go and focus on quantum computing as your PhD. Yeah, that's right. What is quantum computing and how come quantum computing was so exciting to you? Well, essentially, uh, quantum computing refers to uh, the usage of the laws of physics that gather the, the very, very small yeah. to do uh, calculations that could possibly aid a conventional computing. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, if we go really, really small, mm -hmm. then the physics behind what's happening down there, the interaction between atoms and electrons or other particles, are quite different from what we've known from uh, our everyday life. So those things open up the doors for a different way of seeing and mapping problems to equations. Now, yeah. if we somehow harvest that energy or that uh, ability, if I may, people should be able to use quantum physics, the laws of quantum physics, to do calculations that could be used for real life applications. Uh, so that alone was really, I found that really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, this is something that will for sure be uh, applicable in the future. I, I want to, to learn more about it. I want to contribute to it. Yeah. Uh, so I went for a PhD uh, in, in quantum computing. Gotcha. Do you know what quantum computing uh, was? I had a few clues. Okay. I mean, I, I knew that was, you know, a different approach to computation using physics. Yeah. So I should probably mention that people who work on quantum computing are like 80% physicists. Right. So it's not a different branch of computer science. Yeah. It's a branch of physics. Right. Maybe in the future it will, you know, right. turn towards uh, engineering or computer science, but primarily it's, it's physics at the moment. Okay. And um, yeah. Okay. And then what was that process for you then? So you got to the end of your degree and then you, I guess you've done some research or did you have any people you consulted? What made you choose quantum physics? Now? Again, it's just, uh, I was given an opportunity. I thought it was really interesting. Overall, I wanted to do something that relates to nanotechnology. Right. And uh, probably quantum computing is one of the, is the, the, the biggest part of nanotechnology, either that or, or nanomedicine. And uh, nanomedicine is super important, okay. but I was never attracted to it. So the opportunity, opportunity came up and I went for quantum computing. Why is it so important? Why should we care about it as a society? Why is it important? Why should we care about it as a society? Well, I'm pretty sure like uh, 70 years ago, someone would ask, why is computing important uh, to society? And people said, I don't know, it's super interesting. And today we have computers everywhere. Uh, certainly we do know why quantum computing is important for today is because it can provide capabilities that none of the conventional computers could possibly provide. For example, unbreakable internet in terms of security, right. encryption, and the ability to, to perform some simulations that are impossible to perform using uh, conventional computers, or that those computers would take uh, thousands of years to run. Even we're talking about supercomputers here. So by using this different approach, we can expand our knowledge and our ability to species and manage to do something that has never been done before. And those applications involve uh, simulations in medicine, wow. so possibly better way to deliver medicine, uh, simulations uh, of the weather, better weather predictions, uh, I've already mentioned uh, unbreakable internet and decryption and lots of other things like uh, faster calculations, popular problems could be solved by using uh, quantum computers mm -hmm. and many others. Googling, are we? I, I am. I, <laughs> I, I just want to be sure that I'm on, on top of this. Oh, so, no, no, it's okay. Cool. Yeah, I just made that up. <laughs> no, 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 well, no, no, no. If you made that up, that's incredible. That's great. 
Okay, so I guess really that's the importance of it. It's it's such a huge, diverse topic, right? That actually we should take it seriously. This is a serious topic. This is something that will, well, that does impact our daily It is. Life. The many companies, like a huge companies today, yes. who are investing millions or even billions of dollars yeah. in the quantum technologies section. So they usually tend to call it a quantum technologies. Yes. So it's a more general term and quantum computing is probably the biggest part of it. But you could possibly use some other aspects of it for similar things, which are not necessarily about computing, it could be for quantum sensing, for example. You can have a sensor, yeah. you could sense magnetic field or some vibration or whatever, which is much, much, much more sensitive than anything you could possibly create without uh, quantum mechanics. Nice. What are quantum mechanics? That, that's a, another field of physics that focuses on like the nano side of it. Yes. Anything related to atoms and molecules. So uh, technically, quantum mechanics is just a mathematical framework mm-hmm. that physicists uh, in the 20s... Math. Math. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's essentially math. Yes. Yeah. So physicists back in the uh, 20s or 30s uh, spend some time, quite some time, on developing this framework. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is it, probably the only theory that has never been disproven so far. Okay. So what, what quantum mechanics does, it describes how atoms interact with each other, mm-hmm. how nanoparticles interact with each other, and so on. So it's basically the science of the very small. Mm-hmm. And when we say small, if, you, if, I'm, if I am to give you an example, then imagine the thickness of a human hair, and let's just say a thousand times smaller than that. Okay, gotcha. And so my understanding of quantum computing has always been around things like hacking codes or something. A number of combinations that you can try to enter like a, a password with quantum computing, it can do it in a much faster, much better way because there's more power that's applied to it. Well, that's that's only a tip of the iceberg. So I believe what you're referring to is using parallelism in quantum computing to apply a brute force attack to break a password. I mean, yeah. that could, could happen, yeah. but that's just one application, probably not a legal one. Uh-huh. The reason why people are so keen of using quantum computing in, in security is because of the of the fact that you, you can create a system that it can tell you immediately if it has been hacked or not. Mm-hmm. So it provides extra security. Mm-hmm. So not, not the other way around, not to break security. Okay, but to Although, actually provide security. Yeah. So, so if, if you implement it the right way, yeah. you, you could get some sort of encryption. Yeah. If someone is trying to, to break it, yeah. you will know like, uh, immediately. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. I think the confusion is what actually is quantum computing. So if I was like a grade one kid, year one kid, what does quantum computing mean? How do you explain that? I mean, like I've mentioned earlier here, quantum computing would be a new way of performing calculations by using very, very small uh, particles Mm -hmm. put down in very layman, layman terms. Okay. And the benefits of it, obviously, security is one aspect. Yes. But what are some of the other aspects of speed? Right. So you'd be able to perform specific calculations, for example, factorizing a factorizing an integer, a very, very large integer. Mm-hmm. You could do that way, way, way faster. Mm-hmm. And particularly that example has been demonstrated. And of course, there are other problems in, in today's society which cannot be tackled using conventional computing. Mm-hmm. So uh, quantum computing should be able to help people solve these problems. And what was your specific topic? on what was your thesis so my thesis was called uh, high frequency uh, applications or on carbon nanotube carbon dots okay that doesn't really say much it to not, yeah. someone who is not in the field yeah but what that means in a few words is that uh, as i've uh, thing if i recall i've mentioned at the beginning i have been working on the solid state quantum computing mm-hmm. so i should 
probably point out that there are different kinds of quantum computing. So this is a, an active area of research. So different people, different research groups across the world yeah. try different things. Yeah. There are several ways of implementing a quantum what, computer. Approach. What are some of the major ways? So the major ways at the moment is solid-state quantum computation, which is what I've been working on. Mm-hmm. There's a superconducting qubits, okay. which is you know, IBM is investing in that, and Google, I believe. Can you explain each one? So what is solid state? What is what is the last yeah. one? So solid state usually refers to having uh, physical materials that mm-hmm. you engineer in such a way mm-hmm. that you can trap uh, nanoparticles or electrons in some specific regions inside them and use those uh, to do calculations. So when you trap those nanoparticles down, you force them to experience uh, to to be subjects of uh, experience the loss of quantum physics essentially yeah. because of the size. So you use the size, yeah. then quantum mechanics pops up. Right. Um, so superconducting qubits is, is is a different area. Is when you have a, a circuit uh, on on a surface which you just uh, shoot some some current across, and then you you can get current moving uh, across a path yeah. and. Uh, that basically creates some effects which you can use to do calculations. So, okay, I, I'm going to take an even further step back, right? When you talk about these electrons and these circuit boards, what do you actually mean? Because when I picture a quantum computer, I picture like a, a microchip that's like very fast and much more effective. Is yeah. that completely wrong? It's not completely wrong, but um, since mo- most people are biased towards conventional computing, because if I tell you, what you what's a computer, yeah, it's it's pretty fair that you're gonna think of a motherboard or something something like yeah. a computer you've been using for your whole life. Yeah. But a quantum computer is actually a nanochip, which you cannot see with a naked eye or you cannot even see with an optical microscope, oh, wow. since we're talking about nanometers here, yeah. right? But that chip is sitting on top of a printed circuit board, like a, a normal chip, if yeah. you wish, yeah. because somehow you have to be able to manipulate it. Right. So you go from something very, very tiny to something that you can actually hold in your hand, Mm-hmm. which usually sits in a, in a different piece of apparatus, mm-hmm. which, again, sits in a huge room, and then you have lots of electronics that connect on that piece of apparatus, and you control your tiny nanochip through those pieces of electronics. Uh, okay. For example, in my case, I would have a nanochip on silicon, yeah. which sits on a PCB, yeah. printed circuit board, yeah. that I've designed, which sits inside the sample holder, yeah. which sits inside a fridge, yeah. So that fridge is responsible essentially for cooling down your system to very, 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 very low temperatures. Yeah. So you need very low temperatures to perform most of quantum computation today. Yeah. And then from outside the fridge, you have a normal computer, mm-hmm. which you would use to connect to different pieces of other equipment like voltage meters or current sources or radio frequency generators and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And by manipulating all these pieces of equipment at the same time, you can perform different calculations on your chip inside the fridge. Yeah. And what you've developed inside this fridge is what you would call solid state. Yes. Can you also explain in the same detail as you explained the solid state what the other state is? I, I've mentioned uh, super uh, superconducting qubits. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I don't believe I have the same amount of knowledge on that area to explain in in. in this much detail. Yeah. So what they're doing in this area, I believe they, they have some resonators, which basically implies you have a resonance frequency, which is usually in the gigahertz uh, regime. And by doing some similar, they also use a fridge. So m- most people use fridges today. 
because they, they need low temperatures. Uh, and let me come back to low temperatures later because it's a very interesting topic on its own. So superconducting qubits use a different approach, but they have problems compared to solid state. Uh, basically, every, every approach has its own advantages and disadvantages. But on top of those two, you can have other approaches like uh, using uh, photons or light. So photon is a particle of light. Yeah, yeah. You can use light to do uh, computation. And in fact, that was the first popular way of doing it. But uh, people have came across many, many issues. And now they've moved to uh, solid state and superconducting qubits. So what's the traditional way we currently use? So, but we have quantum computing. And then I presume there's a traditional way, right? Yeah. What's the difference? So what's better with quantum? Is there is what, there a big what, difference? What, what, I mean, what, what what's the advantage that we have with quantum uh, computing? Uh, it depends on what, what do you mean by traditional method. Do you mean like like the conventional computing that we yes that we currently have? Well, again, it's the fact that you, you can go and, and perform calculations that are much 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 faster. Yeah, in a sense, and also lots of them wouldn't be possible without uh, quantum computing. So there are specific tasks uh, people have proved that they are impossible to perform without quantum computers. Is speed the only important thing here, or is it, do we have a lot more? Well, speed is, is definitely one of them. Okay. Uh, uh, security, like uh, we, we yeah, mentioned before. Discussed, yeah. And um, there's also the fact that nobody has actually made a universal quantum computer yet. Okay. So we don't really know what this will bring. So essentially, back then, when people created the, the first uh, transistor, for example, yes. I'm pretty sure they didn't un un understand that what that would be, right? Right. Or even the laser. Yes. So the, the laser was a very neat uh, invention back then, and now it's literally used everywhere. E everything is using a laser. laser. So maybe something similar happens uh, for quantum computing quantum as well. Computing. No, it's quite interesting. Um, so I guess one to think about, I guess, um, I guess people would always wonder, well, quantum computing and the traditional ways of the or the conventional ways of saying um, what's the difference? That's interesting. You, so you need a fridge to actually do this quantum computing stuff. That's right. And you also need a computer that's connected to the fridge to enable some of the calculations or computing itself that you want to do. Yeah, that's right. Why not just relocate all the quantum computers into the Arctic or Antarctic where it's cold all the time and then you can just have a computer remotely based that's connected to it? Well, the thing is, you need an you need an external computer to monitor what's going on inside the fridge because we are talking about so many pieces of equipment that all of them must work coherently mm -hmm. for for you to be able to actually do something. Right. So essentially, right now, uh, th those systems are not autonomous. So you have to keep an eye on it essentially. Yeah. So just re remember that this is still in the research stage. Yeah. So this is still pretty basic. Uh, research right. maybe in 50 years maybe we could do what you suggested uh, at the moment it's it's more like a transition period where people are trying to see what they can actually do right okay. so, so you talked about this low temperature thing and you wanted to come back to it what, what was it that was so interesting to me it's outstanding how low those temperatures are so if i am to give you an example so i should probably start by saying that in science we use kelvin instead of degrees celsius yeah kelvin is basically the number of degrees above absolute zero that an object has. Mm -hmm. For example, at room- Can you explain absolute zero as well? well? Absolute zero is lowest possible temperature that anything could ever attain. Mm -hmm. Strictly speaking, it's the temperature at which the entropy of the system becomes uh, zero. Okay, so, so water, what is water's absolute zero? 
degrees. No, everything has the same absolute zero. Okay, gotcha. So it's like the lowest possible temperature. Gotcha. In very, very late Lehmann terms. Uh, now, the way to translate between Kelvin and, and Celsius is just by adding uh, 273. Yeah. So absolute zero in Celsius is minus 273. So if you add that up, mm -hmm. then you can translate between Celsius and Kelvin. Okay. For example, water freezes at uh, zero degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. So that would be 273 Kelvin. The water boils at 100 Celsius, so 373 Kelvin. Okay. Right. So, for example, room, room temperature, which is, let's say, 27 Celsius, probably not in London. Um, <laughs> it's always meant to be 19 something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, for convenience, we take room temperature to be 27 degrees Celsius, such that it translates to uh, 300 Kelvin. So if I am to compare room temperature with the surface of the sun, mm -hmm. then how many times do you think the surface of the sun is hotter than room temperature? Oh, man, like in Kelvin or in Celsius? Oh, it doesn't matter, right? It's, it's a ratio. It's probably like 300,000, 400,000. Uh, just 20 times, really. Oh. Yeah. So the surface of the sun is about 6,000 Kelvin. So if you are to compare 6,000 with 300, yeah. that's 20 times more. more than so if you think about it, it's not really that hot. Mm -hmm. It's only 20 times hotter because you're doing an absolute comparison. But then if you go the other way around, if you compare the temperature inside a fridge where the quantum nano device is sitting yeah. with room temperature, yeah. then room temperature is about 30,000 times hotter. So that is unimaginably cold, uh -huh. to put it in simple terms. And that's how you just simulate Mind-blowing. Let's think it in. I mean, okay. no, just think about the numbers. Uh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. How cold it is. We, we, we tend to say in physics that when it comes to uh, achieving low temperatures, humans have managed to beat uh, nature. So nature wins in terms of high temperatures. So obviously stars and uh, you know, like the core of the sun, for example, is extremely hot. Uh, it wins in terms of speed, in terms of pressure, in terms of magnetic field, in terms of anything else. But when it comes to low temperatures, you know, humans have won. Yeah. How, how do we get so good at low temperatures? What do we do? That? I suppose it's easier to cool things down than it is to uh, heat things up. But why is it easier to, like, what are we doing? Well, those, these so, fridges, what, what are they running? So those, those fridges usually operate on a mixture of helium, mm -hmm. helium-3 right. and helium-4 to be precise. Yeah. So those two are some uh, inert gases because of their size. So they're monatomic. So they're very, very small. Uh, they have very, very small atoms. Yeah. And they have some these uh, outstanding properties which allows them to extract heat from their surroundings. Right. And by doing some really clever engineering behind this, you, you can get uh, liquid helium circulating and causing the surroundings where the quantum chip is sitting to yeah. cool down. Wow. I mean, th this hasn't been achieved in a day, of course. I mean, yeah, it's course. been many years. So, oh, right, okay. how many years have we been doing this, this research? Um, I think initially they used to, I think it was in probably the 70s or so. Wow. But then, you know, back then, the fridges were much, much smaller. Of course. Then, because it, if it's bigger, it takes more effort to, to cool it down. But obviously, in a small fridge, you can't really do much because you have to install, you know, lots of things for your experiments. So during, after a few decades, then those fridges became, they, they were commercialized and that they became bigger. So people can now buy them and use them for experiments in, in labs. So, so now then... Where you are now? So you you just finished you just finished your PhD, right? Yeah, I uh, passed my bar two months ago. Yeah. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. So, what's the future looking like now? So, what are you going to be doing? And where do you see quantum in the next ten years? 
Uh, personally, I realized quantum computing is too hard. I'm going to stick with conventional computing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's easier to pronounce it conventional computing. Yeah. Cla classical computing. Yeah. So personally, I have uh, decided to take a break from research. So I'm, I'm now working in industry as a software developer. But um, in terms of where quantum computing is going, I think the future is, is quite bright. Okay. It's going somewhere, definitely okay. slow. But right. it's, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a destination. So what I really observed the last few years is that yeah. many uh, large companies were investing money in a quantum computing. That includes uh, Microsoft, IBM, Google, uh, and in, in, Intel. Mm -hmm. And different universities across the world uh, team up with different companies. Yeah. They're also independent companies. They're different startups that pop up, especially in, uh, in the States. For example, there's D-Wave. Uh, there's uh, Widgeti Computing. Okay and other companies. So uh, people are actually interested in developing a universal quantum computer and that uh, they're actually spending the time and effort to do it. Right, okay. And what do you see the next big thing then coming out of this? And so from all the companies you've just pointed out, all the startups, which ones excite you? Yeah, what mm. should we be watching out? Well, that, that's really hard to say mm. because different companies use different approaches yes. and nobody can actually tell what the next big thing is but if i had to guess i would say i would expect a, a chip a quantum chip with more capabilities than we have ever seen before wow. which could be potentially used to run some you know real uh, calculations because okay. it's not entirely the fact that you can run the calculations you have to prove that running them on on, on such a quantum device if I, if, I, if I could call it like that you have to demonstrate that there's a benefit by doing that because yeah. right now, if it costs me, for example, X amount of money to solve a problem on a supercomputer, yeah. and it costs 10x to solve it on a quantum computer, then obviously there's no benefits doing that, especially if they take similar time. Yeah. But if quantum computers evolve further, and they become much, much faster and much, much cheaper, then obviously demand will shift uh, towards them. So really for now, then conventional computing wins. Yes. That's right, that's right. So you spent five years and you just, okay, interesting. So it wins. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, it wins now. Oh, it wins now, until, yeah. until yeah. yeah. yeah but uh, I should also point out that uh, quantum computers are not meant to replace conventional computers. Okay. So it, the, the fact that you're, you're going to have the idea, the idea that you're going to have a, uh, a quantum chip in your laptop, okay. it's, uh, it doesn't sound very realistic at the moment. So the way I see it, quantum computers would be more like uh, servers. So you would connect onto them mm -hmm. and run experiments onto them or calculations from, from your own conventional machine. You know, earlier you mentioned about IBM. Yeah. You said they are heavily investing in this as well. You said. So, yes. Right, okay. Do you know exactly what they're up to? What they're looking so IBM is basically... Uh, they dominate everything, right? <laughs> well, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, every company is, is investing. Mm. For example, IBM is teaming up with Edeha in Zurich, oh, wow. Switzerland. Yeah. So they have this IBM Research Center uh, near Zurich. I visited like uh, two and a half years ago. No way. As yeah. part of your research? Uh, yeah, essentially. I spent some time there. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, there's also uh, Microsoft. Microsoft is using a completely different approach. It's called topological quantum computing. I Which know is completely very, different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite different. It's It has to do with computation on the surface of special materials. I don't know much about this. Well, the new geniuses like yourselves, you figure that one out, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know just the very basic stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, you know more than So, uh, yeah, Ma Microsoft is teaming up with the uh, University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Wow. Again, I visited twice, so they have n n nice labs, really nice labs. Yeah. And there's, well, our Intel 
So Intel is teaming up with uh, uh, with Delft University of Delft in uh, the Netherlands, and uh, they are using a solid state uh, computation approach. Oh, wow! And of course, there's Google, but I think Google is a bit more independent at this stage. Yeah. Google so in the states. So if I don't, you have a question. Well, I wanted to ask, how do you how do you accelerate research? What what is it? What is there a breakthrough? Is there more labs necessary? What would actually make this research go faster? More money, exactly. More, more money. money. Well, just give more money. So it's it, money. <laughs> I, I have some, I think. <laughs> Maybe that's enough for a coffee to buy. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, if I, if I am to put things into perspective, uh, a fridge like the one I've been describing uh, earlier. Cost about a half a million euro, uh, half a million euros. Yeah. Wow. wow. So if you want many of them, then that's uh, lots of lots of money. Lots of money. Yeah. yeah. So and that's just the fridge. So you have to spend extra extra time and money uh, creating those quantum nano devices. Yeah. You have to spend extra time and money uh, hiring people to do the experiments, like uh, postdocs or PhD students or you know, researchers in general. But also you have to buy the equipment that is being used that it's used to work. Scale. Yeah, so you, you need lab space, you need equipment, you need people. So essentially, you need money. How how big is the IBM research center? It must be massive, right? It must. Be. Uh, it's it's quite large, primarily because it's uh, it's outside uh, Zurich. Yes. So uh, they have loads of space there. I mean, if you if you are to feed one in London, then yes. of, of of course you won't have as as much space. The Queen will not be happy. Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> She'll say, okay, you can have Buckingham Palace, but yeah, it's still too yeah. small. So what advice would you give to somebody looking to, A, uh, look into this, and B, looking to essentially study uh, quantum physics? Um, so quantum physics is fun, but if you, are to, if you want to really understand quantum computing, then you have to make sure you understand quantum mechanics uh, r- really well. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter if, you, if you're good at coding or if you know how to you know, create a network or you know machine learning or stuff like that. You, you have to know quantum physics to understand a quantum computing. And uh, it, it's an interesting topic. It, it's quite interesting, especially because it, it, it now it has bred different branches. Mm-hmm. So it's not, so I've been working on experimental quantum computing, which is primarily something that has to do with the hardware. So physical, physical stuff, yes. physical devices and experiments uh, and so on. But there's also a theoretical part to it. So people doing simulations and suggesting, oh, maybe, if we use this uh, instead of that, yeah. maybe uh, the device is, is, is better. People looking into algorithms, there's a, there's a field called the quantum algorithms. Okay, so, so another, another thing. Yeah, again, that's, that's just the whiteboard. And, and, <laughs> but um, it, it's really important. Well, the, hey, there's some algorithms that they, they have actually been demonstrated. Oh, uh, okay. But still, it's, they're pretty simple. If you end up having a uh, fully functional universal quantum computer and you have no quantum algorithms to run on it, then you haven't actually done anything, right? Yeah. So all of those fields are quite important. What are they built in the, uh, the algorithms? Java, C? Or... There, there are actually no languages at the moment. There's one which is under development. It's called uh, Q-sharp. Wow, so this so is something like, coming soon, right? Yeah, so I, I think my, my Microsoft's actually working on that. So it's the same. So Microsoft uh, owns C-sharp. So okay. they changed that to Q sharp, Q for quantum. Come on, nice, they could have been a bit more punchy, but okay, it's fine. Oh, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Things pretty good. Yeah. So the aim is to, is to use that language to. <laughs> oh, well. yeah. Anyway, so so the aim is to use that language to uh, to make it easier for people to write down uh, quantum algorithms. Source, yeah. But uh, at the moment, it's, it's more fundamental. So if I am to put this into like a, a classic and al- analog, I would say this is assembly right now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Because people need to understand 
what they're doing before they proceed to create something universal. Right? Um, any shout outs you want to give to your alma maters, your schools, or school? Well, primarily, you know, UCL. So I'd like to thank UCL. <laughs> UCL. Uh, the London Center for Nanotechnology, my group, basically everybody who helped me through these four years of PhD. Awesome. <coughs> and of course, you two guys. <laughs> No, good, good shout out, good shout out. Yeah, man, this is actually very, like, I, I was, I'm stunned by how much is progress, like, how little I know about. Definitely something I need to go back and research. In fact, if you're interested, there's a, so IBM has put a video on, on YouTube where it explains quantum computing in five different difficulties. Uh -huh. So it starts with a, like, six-year-old or, or a kid. That's yeah. Okay. That's, that's, yeah. And they explain it to, to a kid. Yeah. And then they proceed to, a, like, a, a teenager yeah. or a graduate, yeah. like a university graduate. And then the fifth level is a university professor. Okay. So, yeah, if you can watch that, yeah. maybe learn. So, uh, they're they, they resources nowadays. So yeah, there are many, many sources. And so IBM what, is the leading pioneer. Well, I don't want to say that. <laughs> I'm not even allowed to say that. But, uh, maybe I'm a bit biased because I really like their labs in Zurich. <laughs> that's how they, you know, lure you in. Oh, come to our labs. That's it. Come on, join us. But you said, well, you didn't join me, did you? Yeah, it's, it's pretty nice, yeah. But yeah, if, if people want to find more about quantum computing, then uh, you know, YouTube and Google uh, are your friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, so basically what I've covered today is just the tip of the iceberg. So it was a, an overview of why we need quantum computing, but I haven't actually spoken on, on details how quantum computing could work fundamentally. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, you know, for that, you, you might need some quantum knowledge. I think we, we need to watch this IBM videos first and then do another session probably six year old, old, or yeah. no no yeah. it would never be at the same level <laughs> it but needs five years of work <laughs> trust me i've done Plus so in, in my life i've done uh, three different courses on oh, wow. quantum physics so quantum physics quantum mechanics quantum computing i cannot say that i understand quantum computing really eh? well, i, mean, I, I can say the same course. i do not understand quantum computing so i see we're the same <laughs> well we, we get the fridge concept yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, how long is expensive? That's what. I yeah, it's expensive. It's, <laughs> it's, it's how many grams? It's cold. Yeah, yeah. No, good. Thanks, man. Cool. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Check out our page at Patreon.com/slash Four Inquisitive Minds. Reach out to us. Check out our episodes and, and stay in touch. Check it out. If you liked Four Inquisitive Minds, you should check out this great podcast called The Blogging Millionaire. The host built his blog from zero to one million monthly visitors in just 18 months after making his first blog post. His recent series, How to 10x Your Blog's Traffic by Just Improving Your Blog's Page Speed, is one that you really need to listen to. Just do a search for The Blogging Millionaire wherever you get your podcasts.